Hi friends, join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. guys welcome back to becoming buffy today we're talking about season five episode nine listening to fear and we were kind of talking about this before the recording but this episode shadow and the next two episodes um no i guess i should say this episode and shadow are those episodes where it's the very definition of a hallway episode. It's still building stuff. There's a lot going on, but nothing fully resolves. I actually read a lot of reviews and a lot of the reviewers were talking about how this episode felt really slow and so did Shadow. And it's because nothing actually comes to a resolution. It's just a continuing of all these different plot points. And we're like waiting for the other shoe to drop with Riley. We're waiting to find out what happens with Joyce. We still don't know what's going to happen with Glory and with Dawn and all this other stuff. And while there are big things, happening in the episodes. This is why this season feels like a movie. Everything is just happening one day after the other and it's continuous and never ending. And I would say the next episode feels like a bit bit more of a resolution. Um, But I think that Shadow, Listening to Fear, Into the Woods, and Triangle are the four weakest episodes. Like this arc is the four, is the weakest arc of the season. Um, it's still like it's season five. So it's not like it's horrible episodes. Like they're still good episodes, but they're not like, you know, as great as Fool for Love or Family and some of the other ones we have going on. But after we get past Triangle, I feel like the season is just banger after banger after banger. So I don't know. Everything always comes back into play, I feel like, but they're kind of like little snoozy episodes. Like I don't know. Maybe that's a little harsh. But like they're they're not bad. They're just like I think maybe I'm just comparing. Maybe I'm getting too picky because we really made it through all the way through season four. I know, And I right? was like struggling. <laughs> so maybe I'm just being a little too picky because the caliber for season five is just really high up there. But yeah. like these next like what four episodes, it's like compared to the rest. I'm like, okay, I know where it's going. and know where we're leading. And it's like – I just want to get there. I want to get there. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels frustrating because it's like we dealt with Riley and his like idiotic self for all of season four. And then it's like now we're dealing with all this in season five. And you're like, when is this fool just going to leave? When is he going to (laughs) be off my screen? And it's hard too because the initiative is back in this episode. So it's like, okay, why? Why are we bringing back some of the weakest plot points of season four and of the series so far? Um, Patch the Nerd points out that the show does better when it's more grounded. And this episode has such a weird intertwining of extremely groundedness, but then also extraterrestrial stuff that it just creates this weird like in-between feeling where you're like, I'm not sure what this is. It feels like Buffy, but it also doesn't. Um, And so all that to say, I was actually pleasantly surprised. I know I just like crapped on this episode. I was actually pleasantly surprised when I watched this episode. Um, Maybe it's because I've had a really rough week. We've all had a rough week and I just needed an emotional release. Maybe it's because I just started my period. I literally got to the end of this episode and I ended and Andrew, my husband, was sitting at the table doing something and I like turned to him and I was not, I was kind of like teary eyed at 
several parts in this episode. No, that was your fault for looking at him. You can't make eye contact with him. And I started talking to him. (laughs) I was like, I was like, Andrew, I was like, oh, this is just so rough. And he was like, why? And I started talking about it and I just started sobbing. And I was like, what is wrong with me? And he like came over to comfort me. And I was like, it's just sad. It feels like they're saying goodbye to I'm in my luteal phase, so I get that. I also just feel, I feel like Buffy is one of those rare characters in TV shows where like, and maybe this is just me or or us, I guess. No, <laughs> it's not just you. Clearly, it's but not. <laughs> it's like what Buffy feels, we feel. Like yeah. when Buffy is in pain, we're in pain. Like when Buffy's going through a breakup, we're going through a breakup. Clearly, I stopped watching after Angel left as if he had broken up with me. Um, <laughs> but it's like when Joyce is sick, I'm like, my mom is dying. Like my mom is sick. Like it's so it's like, I don't know what yeah. the frick. This is also why I feel so passionately when people start to freaking crap on Buffy. I'm like, she is me. She is ours. Yeah. Don't say that about her. Like she is my, she's my mother. She's my sister. She's my best friend. She is me. Um, we're yeah, all mourning when Buffy's going through it. I'm also mourning with her. Yes, like, yes. like and so I am like also in depression. Her, yeah, like seeing her bear all of this, you're just like, I'm bearing it. Like I, I feel it. Like, oh, it's just, it's so hard. Anytime Buffy is just going through anything, which she always is, so I'm always going through something, it's just like, stop. Like, give her a break, please. Like, she's already been through so much. Yeah. Yeah. And this episode really, it puts you through it. And I'm not going to guarantee that I won't cry at certain points because, guys, I actually stumbled across a few things that changed how I view this episode and have changed how I view certain characters. And I can't wait to share it with you guys because also the spoiler section for this is going to be lit because there's some things I can't talk about and how this episode foreshadows the end of this season is insanity. So definitely check out our spoiler section because... Yeah, there's going to be a lot to say about that. But I'm surprised no one has cried yet while recording these podcast episodes. I got choked up when we talked. Do you not remember we... Immense? We were all like <laughs> choked up. No, for that we one. did not. <laughs> yes, I remember. You go back. No, I remember choking up talking about um, the Faith episode. Why am I blinking? Sanctuary. No, five, five by, by five. five. Yeah. I thought it was five by five, and then I got two in my head about it. Yeah, that one I choked up a little bit, but I'm surprised. I did not. We did not cry during immense. We we didn't full on cry, but we were choking up. At least I was. I also. That's what I mean. Um, like a, a, like no one has cried yet. Like I'm surprised. All of oh, us are, I think are this pretty might emotional. Be my episode, guys. <laughs> I, I'm not it's even okay. kidding it's you. A safe space. Just a disclaimer for our listeners, we all had a really rough emotional week with our family. We're just deluding ourselves. Like people are like, Sarah, <laughs> Leah, Tabby, this this episode sucks. And we're like, it's just so beautiful. And I it's think, just so emotional. Guys, no, like, this last week, sucks. guys, it's yeah. so embarrassing. Last week, I watched, okay, and you know what's even more embarrassing? I haven't, seen, I saw this movie once when I was like five, okay? I remember being traumatized by this movie, okay? I saw a TikTok of the ending of the movie. I sobbed. Sobbed. <laughs> oh what did this? You know what movie was? No. All dogs go it? to heaven. Oh, no. The of ending, it was. The ending when the dog died and it goes talks to the girl. And then I was like, yeah. I forgot. I had just, I like, it literally erased it from my brain. And then I saw it and then they hug. And then he like looks back at her and then goes no. up to heaven. I sobbed. I was like, I'm you know not what okay. movie does that to me is freaking Fox and the Hound. That movie can uh, burn no. in mm-hmm. hell. A hot <laughs> fiery, a hot fiery death in hell. What I think we watch as kids, like because Iron the beginning Giant, of it is like so all these movies cute. traumatize no, no. us. Iron Giant is good because it's emotional for a good reason. But like True. Fox and the Hound, they just become 
friends oh, and then he just kills like i'm like okay uh little me couldn't process that older me can't process it even more i can't i can't no, it makes me so mad. And then he's crying. The little fox is crying. Oh. Guys, guys, oh my God, we already have to talk about this episode. I don't need more trauma on top of it. <laughs> no one ever watched Fox and the Hound. I'm warning you now. Don't ever watch it. I think that everyone has sucks. at this point. David and Catherine <laughs> watched it recently, and they said they both were sobbing. Yes, it sucks. That movie sucks. It, it's traumatizing. It's, I hate it. We'll always be friends forever. And oh, you're like, stop, stop it. No, stop. they're not. <laughs> we hate that movie. Whoever yeah. freaking made that, that deserves deserves a very cold dinner tonight. <laughs> okay, guys, we have this episode to talk about. All that to say, I, I'm not going to promise I'm not going to cry. All of us are going to therapy after this episode. Seriously. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Oh, that is your, you know, fantastic intro. I think this is going to be a great episode, but we have to get through some hard stuff first. Okay. Listening to Fear, written by Rebecca Rand Kirshner, directed by David Solomon, aired November 28th, 2000. So we have Buffy being fearful, causing her to break down in the kitchen. We have Riley being fearful about loving Buffy and continuing to ignore responsibilities and being reckless. Interestingly, we have Ben calling the Queller demon so that nobody finds out about Glory. We don't know why, but if this has anything to do with the title, it could be because he's listening to fear. We have Dawn listening to fear. These people keep telling her that she's nothing. She's no one. She's not real. She's empty, all this stuff. Um, so like, we have very interesting tie-ins with the characters. The episode mirrors an X-Files episode called Tunguska with the alien that squirts oil on people's faces. So this feels very X-Files. X-Files is like all about aliens and extraterrestrial, everything. And so this episode kind of like, you know, rips it off because, you know, everybody rips off X-Files. They're kind of the template for all of that stuff. Um, But most importantly, and this is – I'm going to be talking about this throughout the episode. There's three specific places that I will be mentioning it. Um, but I'm going to kind of go into a little bit of an essay here and I was blown away. So this episode is a very obvious throwback to killed by death. And I never thought there would be an episode of Buffy that calls back to that one. Cause that's such a random episode from season two. Um, it's even kind of a callback to Nightmares, another episode in season one that was all about inner fears. So Killed by Death is the biggest one that I'll be referencing. Um, there's going to be little callbacks sprinkled throughout this episode that I will mention, but I'm going to point out the big obvious ones right now, which is that Killed by Death established that Buffy hates hospitals because of seeing her cousin die in one. In fact, the Queller demon being on top of its victims is very similar to what Dare Kinderstad does to the children. Thematically, both Nightmares and Killed by death are similar in that both deal with Buffy's fears, but also with what Buffy can't control. In Nightmare, she fears being abandoned and alone, but also becoming a vampire, being buried alive, and being responsible for her parents' divorce. In Killed by Death, she's working herself to death out of responsibility for Angel becoming Angelus, or I should say a misplaced responsibility. It was not Buffy's fault. And she saves the children in that episode as a way to forgive herself for not helping save her cousin Cecilia in that episode. And then the next one, I think I only have eyes for you, I think is the one after that or right before. Those two are about Buffy forgiving herself, um, which is just really beautiful. So the last little bit though about Killed by Death being about Buffy trying to save the children is super important thematically for this episode and this season. We don't get many flashbacks of Buffy as her younger self in the series. We really, we really just don't. So far we've had that one and then we've had Becoming when we saw like a junior high Buffy. 
Um, and each one is important in understanding who Buffy is. That moment where she's playing superhero to Cecilia is a formative moment because it solidifies Buffy's desire to be a hero and someone who can rescue and save people, but also someone who is responsible. In that episode, you have her talking to the little boy, Ryan. He says, you shouldn't be here, contagious. And Buffy says, oh, what? You think because I'm a grown-up? Believe me, I'm not that grown-up. See the picture that he's coloring. And then Ryan says, he'll come back again tonight. And then Buffy says, I won't let it hurt any of you. And she says, grown-ups don't believe you, right? Well, I do. We both know that there are real monsters, but there's also real heroes that fight monsters, and that's me. And then Giles also mentions in that episode that Buffy has to have something to fight in order to feel like she has everything under control. He says, death and disease are possibly the only things that Buffy cannot fight. And we see Buffy struggling with that in this episode. Um, and that's what makes this episode so real is the fact that Buffy is fighting something, well, attempting to fight something that is very normal and very human. Death happens and she she can't do anything about that. Um, in fact, Buffy is the one that often brings death to demons. And I think she's struggling with the fact that she, no matter how hard she tries, she cannot bring life. Um, but back to Killed by Death. So Giles also mentions in that episode, he sa- he talks about how children often see things that adults don't, our hidden selves. Now, the season is all about Buffy trying to protect Dawn, who represents Buffy's innocence, her childlike self, in an effort to not become hardened by her power. That's the metaphor. Literally, it's about not losing your innocence to adulthood and growing up and becoming hardened by the cares of the world. In this episode, we see Buffy being weighed down by adulthood and wishing so badly that she could be protected like she's protecting and shielding Dawn. And we see her taking on these burdens and responsibilities that at this point, Buffy is, what, 19? And she should not be having to worry about all this stuff. Like we're hearing her talk about how she's not sure if she's going to be able to continue in college. She's not sure if she's going to be able to like do her studies and normal things like that. Um, but what she is doing is protecting Dawn and shielding Dawn from this stuff. And then we see her break down at the sink. You know, all that to say is we know that Dawn is here to be Buffy's connection to that part of herself. And so tying that back to Killed by Death, and I will definitely go into this more later on here and in the spoilers, I wonder what Dawn, the child, will reveal in Buffy. If we're going with the theme of children being able to see and reveal a person's true self, what hidden part of Buffy will we see because of Dawn? And that's going to be something that's going to be expanded on later on this season. I feel like in in a certain way, Buffy, the responsibility of being a slayer, being thrown on her and her being robbed of childhood and that innocence mm-hmm. and um i think looking at dawn she realizes oh my god i was so young the guy was yeah. so young and and i think that that's why she protects her and mm-hmm. i think you said that there's like that's why she wants to protect Dawn because she's like i wish someone had protect me mm-hmm. buffy is just i mean i feel like this year i mean i feel like society's kind of talking about that or like the girlies at least right now are talking about it like th- this year is kind of a, a um it feels very healing for a lot of women for their like girlhood. Mm-hmm. And it's been such a top topic of that. I mean, we have like the Barbie movie, then we have like the Ares tour and Renaissance tour and just like people I feel like one good thing about the internet now is people get to have um a shared experience. Um I, I like our shared experiences we get to talk about 
and be affirmed together. So like, or even yeah. just like th- this year, there were a lot of songs that came out that like Leah said from different artists about getting to the age of the person that kind of took away their girlhood. Um, and there's like that anger that you feel and you're like, but I feel like looking at Buffy as a show, it really is about going from girlhood to womanhood. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously she fights demons, but it's such like a metaphorical feeling of just being worn down by the world. Um, even in her early 20s, she's just done. She's like, I'm so exhausted. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I feel like you. it really hits you in the beginning of the weight of what the world actually is. And then I feel like after a while, you kind of get callous to it and you just kind of you're forced to live in it. Um, mm-hmm. But when it really hits you is when it's the hardest because you're just like, I don't want to have to deal with this the rest of my life. And you kind of cope after that. But it's just one of those sad realities. Wow, that's really yeah. depressing. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. guys. This is this is a heavy episode, though. I was shocked at how heavy it was. I just remember it being like, oh, the stupid alien, whatever. And then we got into it and I was like, I Which forgot fair. about all these heavy conversations and yeah. moments that happened through here. Um, so, yeah. When I was writing down notes for this episode, I wrote down, like every other scene. I was like, and back to the hospital and other room Ugh, in the hospital and back to the hospital. I feel like this is the episode that we see the most of the hospital, in my opinion. So we start off with the first scene in the hospital. Um, and did she – she didn't already have surgery. Did, she has a patch on her head. I was confused they by that. did a biopsy. Okay. Yeah. So they haven't done the surgery. They're just, you know, checking the wound and everything. But I just I Dawn is in bed with Joyce and the I was optics about of this. To say like her little like she was so precious in this episode, but like yeah. her talking about like the cow feet thing with the jello, like like oh, she's just so cute. I love, I, I wrote I that Dawn. down. I was like, why do people hate her? Yes. Like she's so freaking cute. Both girls are as close to their mom as they can get. She's the center of their whole world. Like it's so sweet. Can I go on a teeny tiny little soapbox? <laughs> no, Just do a it. Teeny, go ahead. Teeny tiny little soapbox. Okay. You guys haven't seen Game of Thrones. However, the character Sansa Stark. Oh, I know Sansa. Obviously. Yes, but but I mean obviously <laughs> Sophie Turner. Team we, Sophie. we stand. Yeah, yeah we stand. Yeah. We stand. <laughs> Sorry, we stand. But everyone, well not everyone, a lot of people Oh, I've heard. And I mean, hate Sansa's character, especially in the first few seasons, because she's a lot like Dawn in the sense that- She's very polarizing. People are either obsessed with her or they hate her. Yeah, but she's also like, she starts off the show and it's kind of interesting because she has a sister named Arya and Mm Arya is a lot more Buffy where she bears everything. Like she bears the brunt of everything. She's very, she's a fighter. Um, Dawn is not really a fighter. Like, and neither Mm -hmm. is Sansa. Like they're a lot more intelligent, intellectual, blah, blah, blah. Obviously the shows are very completely different. Can't compare them much beyond that. However, I do find, and it is rooted in misogyny, shocker, but I do find that like a lot of times People, men and women, are so quick to criticize girls for being emotional or for being oh, yeah. immature. Having big Doesn't emotions. Sansa go through a lot of trauma yes, too? Sansa goes through mm-hmm. so much, you guys. So much. And so does Dawn. And I think that's one of those things where it's like, yeah, of course, sometimes Sansa's annoying. Yeah, of course, sometimes Dawn is annoying. But when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, it's like, I don't even see adults handling situations mm. like that. Well, mm-hmm. so it's like once you put it in that scope of things, 
you start to see these characters differently. I um, mean, I thought Don handled things really. I mean, she grabs yes. a freaking coat rack and yes. like goes oh, she after was the that MVP of this episode. I mean, but everyone all, did great. All that being said, I love Don. I love Sansa. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, like, it pisses me off when people just yeah. diminish them to being a whiny character, right? Just because they're not like eloquently crying to themselves mm-hmm. doesn't mm-hmm. mean that they're not handling things maturely, right? Mm-hmm. Right. You're so real for that, Leah. Like genuinely. So bogs off. <laughs> I like. I, I, it's so. I'm so glad you said that, Sarah, because I would have. I was about to say the same thing because I was watching this episode and I just was like, I just got such like, like, proud feelings towards Dawn this episode. I'm always proud of Buffy. Stuff like that goes without saying, but like, I just was like, Dawn handled herself so well in this episode, but it was also paired in a way of also showing her age in a very endearing way, but also her strength. Like she stepped in when she needed to. Like I was really proud of her, but we'll get there when we get there. So we find out the surgery is the day after tomorrow and Joyce is like, I don't want to stay here. Um, but the girl's like, hey, like we'll stay here we'll, we'll, as much as possible. Buffy is like, don't worry, the gang's got uh, patrolling. Then we jump into the graveyard. We have all of the gang minus... Who's not there, Leah? <sighs> okay, guys, why the heck does Riley say that she doesn't lean on him or rely on him and mm-hmm. he's not there? Like, at, this is where I stop to feel, I stop feeling sorry for him. Like, you are literally bringing everything on yourself here, Riley. Buffy needed you this episode and she And asked Willow you. was struggling. Like, she, she staked two vamps, which good for her, but one of them, do you see how jacked that girl was? And she was yeah, tall. Yeah, these are the beefiest women <laughs> vampires I have ever seen. I was like, I don't think Buffy has even fought yeah. that buff of a vampire. I, yes, Willow was also the other, the girls were just slaying this episode, mm-hmm. let me say. Willow not only staked two vampires, but then showed up at the hospital the next day with the with gift gifts. basket. Where is Riley? Why is he not visiting uh-huh. Buffy in the hospital? Why is he not, like, yeah, I'm like, sorry. what the you heck? Know what? You're so right, Sarah. I undercut well in this episode too she did phenomenal as well she was great also <laughs> xander was hilarious i i mean i honestly everybody was on their a game i thought the the dialogue was funny at one point mm-hmm. i wrote in my notes i was like this episode is way funnier than it should be like the dialogue is funny and it's like an intense episode i feel like season five so far and i mean obviously i've seen the rest of it but i'll just say for so far does a really got good job of balancing the sadness but still keeping it to feel like Buffy. Yeah. Um, I feel like season four either felt really heavy or felt like there was no depth. And season five really has found a good groove of both. Yes, I agree. The comedic timing when they're all fighting and Giles loses his glasses and then grabs a stake and goes after Xander thinking Xander's a vampire. And Xander's like, human chest, human chest. You can hear the fear in his voice thinking he's going to die in that moment. I was cracking up. I felt like... Nicholas Brennan's comedic timing, we don't talk about Xander in a positive way, so therefore we often don't talk about Nicholas Brennan's fantastic comedic timing, but there were several moments that I was like actually laughing, and Xander has been so far really great this season, and I I don't find myself hating him that much. Oh, Nicholas Brennan does such a great job. Like he has, like you said, like, I mean, I think we talked about this a couple episodes when he had his like full um, centric episode this season, but like he is really just a die damn dynamic actor like he does many things really well but i think his strength is definitely comedy like his physical comedy his facial expressions his timing it's all great 
Yeah. He could be a serious actor, but unfortunately that's often channeled into Xander being an absolute hypocrite. Um, and so yeah. whenever I think of serious Xander, I just think of the moments that I hate him the most. So it's hard to like see that, but I just, Nicholas is also good at that too. Look how far we've come guys. Like anytime he's on screen, I wanted to punch him the first three seasons and yeah. look where we are now. Like he's on screen and I'm like gigging, giggling he's and laughing not, at his he's jokes. Not, he's, and not at all the worst character at this point. Like Riley is solidly at the bottom, and Xander. I wouldn't even see Xander as right above Riley. Like, like I would say in the middle. Yeah, I would say it's Spike yeah. at this point. Spike is acting worse than than Xander. Yeah, Spike and so is, is getting Riley. in his creepy era. So I'm not like really <laughs> yeah. in love with him right now. To be honest, <laughs> you're no kidding. Seriously, <laughs> he he's in his um uh the Phantom his Phantom era. From Phantom yeah, of but the not Opera. the not the sexy not the Gerard, kind. Yeah. <laughs> Gerald Butler that you know is pining, but like the creepy stalker type who you're like, please leave me alone. I mean, you're stealing George, my underwear. I mean, the Phantom is still awful, and then canonically, he's like 20 years older. So I mean, they both are predatory older men who you know are fantasizing about a much younger girl and stalking them. Also, the Phantom does kill people, so maybe they That's are true. pretty similar. Okay, all right, okay. <laughs> Take it back. <laughs> he just is saunters and has like the little cloak and He's like the mask. He's wearing nice clothes. That's the difference. It doesn't yeah. probably smell like stale cigarettes and cheap beer and blood. That's the only difference. Yeah. Anyway, okay, moving anyway, on. <laughs> he sets the scene too. Like his whole underground lair, like honestly. Anyway, um... And then we see Riley. Uh, the scene makes oh, me uncomfortable because the implications are there. They are wild and it makes me uncomfortable. I'm like, okay, I understand what's happening and I'm really uncomfortable. They really just did the most. It, like it's no longer – and I was like, okay, so now it's no longer about being needed, right, Riley? Now it's just an addiction. Yeah, this scene, it was really apparent. Yeah. And anyone who says that it's not cheating at this point – Yeah, this scene alone, dude. blatantly missing – what what they're telling us. Yes. Which is very different from him going to a bar and a vampire chick comes on to him and they go out back to have a moment. No, this is him actively mm -hmm. seeking out a service that he can pay for. Does he kill these girls too? Like, it's just not a good look. I don't think um, he does because, I mean, they're running a business. I hope And they not. would never let him come back if he just keeps staking all yeah. of the girls. That's true. Um, In... To give Mark Lucas a moment, though, because I I have to separate the character from the actor because Mark is just a sweetheart. But in Evan Ross Katz's book, he interviewed Mark Lucas and asked him to recall a moment of triumph from the show where he felt proud of his work. And Mark says, one moment I remember as a personal moment more than I do about the arc and story of Riley is when Riley went down the road of getting his blood sucked. That was my first time doing a dark scene. It's the whole crew, and I think they liked me. We all got along. And I remember trying that scene and the crew clapping for me. It wasn't brilliant. Ain't no awards going on there, but it was just a moment where I think they saw that this kid's working his ass off and we see it and we've seen some growth and he's trying hard. And you've got seven or eight people clapping, which just doesn't happen on sets. That was what I remember. That meant a lot to me at that moment. And I just think about, I feel so bad for him because he never really, he never ever has been a popular character, even now. And I think he went in knowing he was never going to be beloved. And so to have this dark turn, this dark arc and seeing him just throw his whole heart into it. Like, I bought it. I was watching it and I was watching his face. And I was like, I never would have thought the kid that had the, was it psychology book dropped on his head at the beginning of mm -hmm. season four would be here. And yet I buy both sides of Riley. And that's all credit to Mark Lucas, honestly. 
I know, poor dude. He probably just had such a hard time with the doing some of these scenes or the later part of his arc, but he did a great job and we think you're great, Mark. I just don't really like Riley. That has nothing to do with you. <laughs> so back at the hospital, we have Willow come with gifts, which is just so thoughtful. Um, she gives a beer hat for Joyce for liquids, which is very funny, but also like that's a very cute, lighthearted joke you could give to somebody in that situation. Um, yeah. A spell book for Dawn without actual spells just to help her kind of like understand the history, which is like, I of course, Dawn would love that. I love that. Gives homework for Buffy and a yo-yo. Um, and then I just, I feel so bad. Like Joyce has like an episode here and Dawn's face is just, oh, poor baby. Yeah. This moment that um, Willow gives the homework to Buffy, that's a nod to Killed by Death because Willow brought Buffy her homework in oh, the hospital, you're right. which I thought yeah. was really cute. Nice How little like full circle moment. track of all this, Sarah? I went back and read my notes. I keep, oh, okay, true. I mean, I I can't even remember the titles of the episodes. I've also seen the show so many times. I remember that because uh, she finished the homework assignments mm-hmm. for her. Yes. I remember thinking that was really sweet. But also, this is a very different Buffy from The Replacement. Remember, like, Riley was trying to pry her awake from doing her homework. And now she's going, I don't think, you know, I can do homework right now. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to finish my class. Um, And life's just too intense for her right now. And I think all of us after the pandemic can kind of understand this. Like, the fact that studying kind of feels like a waste sometimes when you see all the real-world implications of things like, you know, wars and you know, problems with healthcare and all this stuff that like people are struggling with housing because cost of living is so high right now. It just makes, it puts mm-hmm. things into perspective and it makes it hard to do the little mundane things of life. And that's how Buffy's feeling. So Buffy goes into older sister mode by taking Dawn out of the room and kind of explains like, hey, like um, when mom has the surgery, the episodes will go away. Um, and then we see another person that kind of like went crazy, the implication of uh, glory kind of sucking out the soul of one of these people walks by, mm-hmm. um, says more stuff, says there's no data, talking about Dawn. Um, yeah, that's the same guy that we saw Glory sucking his oh, yeah, you're or right. his memories yeah, out yeah, 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 yeah. in, in um, uh, 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 No Place Like Home. It was yeah. the Night Watchman. Yeah. So it was a couple episodes ago. Shoot. Yep. Then freaking Ben, what does he even do here? He just like stands around just to like watch Buffy come in and out and then just make weird comments like – I'm not convinced he actually works here. Yeah. Is Ben even a doctor? Now that we kind of know he has some connection to Glory, it's like, "Mm." I realize this is the first episode we have a connection like that. I did not. Which I was like, I knew it. I knew he was more than just a doctor. We keep seeing him pop up. Like, come on. Um, So Ben pops up and he's like, hey, is that dude bothering you? And they're like, no, he wasn't really saying anything. And I'm like, okay, so there's our uh, Ben cameo of the hospital episode. Um. (laughs) Then we see Willow and Tara stargazing up on a rooftop, and they just start naming constellations, ones that they made up. I'm pretty sure this is the same skylight from Prophecy Girl and the Freshman. I was just thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I feel like that's what part – oh, my God. What am I saying? That's part of the show that makes it feel like, oh, like it's it's our show. Because it's like even though it's in season five, there's still little things where I'm like, Oh, it's still little budget. Like, it's still yeah. our Buffy. Like, it yeah. feels like it yeah. still feels homely, which is so stupid because it's like a big bu- budget show can still be good. It, like, a lot of Mar. But it's just like, oh, 
Like it's still, it knows its place. <laughs> Me with a random tombstone that I remember their name. I'm like, oh, there's Henry who died yeah, last Alpert. year. Alpert, <laughs> yeah. Alpert, the one that you see everywhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I This scene between Willow and Tara, I appreciate it because we haven't gotten very much of Willow and Tara other than family. So I liked it. Um, also, I, I have to remember that Tara has gone through her own mother dying. Yeah. And that her talking to Willow in this moment, she's recognizing that Willow is having a hard time by talking about the stars and recognizing like Willow's talking about her own mortality and the fact that Willow or the fact that Tara knows that Willow's struggling. So she takes the time to make her laugh and take her mind away from all the heaviness. She knows what it's like to lose a loved one. And again, this is another understated Tara moment. It's the contrast between Willow and Tara's relationship and Riley and Buffy's. Like there's been, they've been kind of the inverse of each other. And as we're seeing Willow and Tara draw closer together, we're watching Riley and Buffy just continue to implode. Um, and it's really interesting how that contrast keeps happening. Also, the meteor thing is another like biblical thing, like the whole glory being the beast, stars falling to the earth, the dragon. Now you have the meteor. Oh no, it's a fallen angel. So they see the meteor fall from the sky, a.k.a. the Queller. What a sick name, to be honest, for an underwhelming monster. <laughs> this monster's scary, guys. Like, it's disgusting. He looks like he's wrapped in a co- – like, a what is it? A cocoon. That's what it is. Like, it's like that's a what giant like. roly-poly. Giant ew, cockroach. Ew, ew, Okay. <laughs> that was so gross. <laughs> I just got – Yeah, this is really was out. not needed there. <laughs> okay. Ew. Think about Bugs Life, like the two little roly polies, and he looks like he does worse. Stop! Oh, that's so gross. (laughs) I'm actually so grossed out. I I don't know how you were not grossed out watching that thing just spit bile and Joyce's face. Look at him too closely. Like anytime he pops up and his teeth are out, I'm like, oh, not looking at the screen. The entire episode. You sound like um. (laughs) What did that sound like? You sound like Babe. (laughs) <laughs> oh, a pig. I sound like a pig. Sorry. My voice doesn't go high enough to do that really high-pitched noise. I won't hurt your guys' ears and do any more impressions. Uh, yeah. Ew. That'll do. Ew. That'll do, pig. Anyway. So, yeah, it crashes into the woods. Then the crazy person, question mark, why is he wandering around? He wandered out of the hospital. Security is not great. But they let him go. Ben probably let him go. He's like, was like uh, whatever. Be free. Go go greet the queller. <laughs> He's like, I don't even work here, so it's fine. You can leave. <laughs> right, exactly. No skin <laughs> off my back. <laughs> this is disgusting and terrifying. It like drops from a tree like yeah, a spider. Weird. Like, uh back at the hospital, somehow the alien thing made it back into the hospital question this mark? is the most unrealistic part not the he's alien just everywhere it's the fact that he's on the ceiling and no one knows a giant cockroach because you might be looking up be like when did the bugs get so big he's guys like a, a good like five foot monster too yeah like, and no one notices long. him excuse yeah. me hospitals are extremely bright there's no shadows like i'm yeah. not buying this whatever <laughs> Imagine being someone who's like low-key thinking they're crazy and they go in to get a checkup (laughs) and then they look up and they're like, I'm dying. Like, there's no way that that's like, I'm imagining things like no one else is saying anything. Thinking they're seeing things (laughs) and they're like, you know what, I need to go home and get off my 12-hour shift and go to bed. Yep. The rest of them are like, you know what? I'm just not going to talk about this. That's like the mood for Sunnydale. It's like they'll do yeah. something outlandish. They'll lose their ability to speak for a day 
And then they just go back to work and they're like, that never happened. <laughs> Nurses are fighting for their lives. They're walking around hallucinating, trying to like save people from dying. And they're like, I'll take care of that later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> They probably see it, but they're like, not now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, Poor Joyce is just like, she's really struggling this scene. Like she's hitting the button, trying to get the nurse's attention um, on the brink of just losing it. Buffy tells the doctor that they'd rather go home before the surgery, that Joyce just can't take being here for two days sitting around, which I I get it. Like, how do mm-hmm. you sl- have a good night's sleep in a hospital just waiting you don't. to be under the you knife don't. for two days? Like, there's no, no way. Yeah. I remember having a hospital stay at one point. I had to stay overnight because of an emergency. And they have a, you set up to an alarm that goes off if you move one of your arms. And so you have to sleep with your arm in one position the entire time. Shoot. And then it's just uncomfortable and you're not in your own bed and you're hooked up to IVs. And yeah. And on top of that, Joyce is losing her impulse control. And I just yeah. feel so bad for her. And the compassion that Buffy has yeah. for her in this in this episode is just, I just feel for everyone right now. Well, just – and having an audience when all this is yeah. happening is just like I, – I wrote down in my notes like watching – like Leah said, it's like this is like watching your mom in this situation. We, it's been five seasons and she's always been somebody very like composed um, – Minus, you know, becoming part two. But, like, someone who's usually, like, handles things really well um, is just – I just love Joyce. Like, I really do. Mm-hmm. And so seeing her um, in this state mentally and having an audience, it's just – it's really hard because it's like this is what yeah. life is like. You get to a point where you get older. And Joyce is not even to that point, which makes it sad because she's still really young. Right. Um, but, like, there are people that are, like – I mean, there's a reason that – when you're older, you have more of a loose tongue or whatever, because it's like you get to a point where you're like, I'm hurting and I'm walking around. And like, if you're like in your upper 80s and 90s, like your body is mm-hmm. just hurting and you're just like, you know, I mean, I don't want to speak for people f- like that, but like, I just feel like I feel for Joyce and this is kind of mm-hmm. what happens. And like, having everyone witness this and then Buffy's reaction to kind of get Dawn out of the room and Dawn's face of just being like, kind of just trying to wrap her mind around the fact that she doesn't understand what's happening. She's confused and scared. Yeah. And maybe this is wrong, but I feel like in times when people are mourning, it's really on the friends to like help give them a a safe space to navigate that feeling. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Dawn has that in Buffy, but Buffy doesn't have that in anyone. Like no one is just kind of like, Willow is trying, but it's like Xander isn't – not Xander. <laughs> so you're blaming him. Xander isn't there. <laughs> yeah. So I just feel like Buffy just feels like she can't even mourn because there's no one who's letting her. I think I think the Scoopies are doing a really good job this episode just by trying to take the slang off and not calling her about that stuff. But this is supposed to be Riley's job. This is supposed to be Buffy's father's job. And these mm-hmm. two men are not here. Um, and the rest of them are trying to take up – the work that Buffy has to do in in an other area. Um, But yeah, I agree with you when it comes to like Riley. It just, it sucks. And I think remembering too that Buffy has to take on this role of 
being a parent almost to dawn when she's but mourning too. Also, parenting her mom. She's go. They're going through something incredibly hard. And then there's the the yeah. looming surgery that's coming over. And it's like your mom may not make it out of this surgery. Like yeah. having to like go through all that. I mean, there's just so much. Um, this doctor is incredibly compassionate, and that's something I'll talk about in a, a little bit later. But he is very very kind, but also treats Joyce with so much dignity and doesn't shame her, doesn't make her feel embarrassed for losing control of some parts of her mind because of this tumor and stuff. And I just really, I really appreciated that. There's no manual for growing up. There's no manual for dealing with things like this. There's no preparation for it. And we're seeing a very clear switch in roles between Buffy and Joyce, where Buffy's having to almost be the adult for Joyce in this situation. And all of a sudden, she's forced into this role, and she's just trying to pretend she knows what she's doing. I mean, I understand that. Like, even just going and buying groceries, I'm like, make sure no one knows that I'm just pretending to be an adult. Like, imagine having to do all of this stuff. Like, I just, I can't even imagine. Well, there are several moments too where Joyce kind of has that look to Buffy of like, yes, make the decision for me. Yeah. Or just like, like, oh, do you have this under control? Like there are moments where, and I think that's what's really sad is you see Joyce in a vulnerable state who's relying on Buffy. And you know that like Joyce is not the type of person to like easily kind of defer to their daughter because they don't want to do that. It's like seeing her like have those looks of like she knows that she can't do all this. So she's kind of forced to put a lot of this on Buffy. Mm -hmm. And Buffy just handles it really well. Um, When Dawn leaves the room, Joyce apologizes and then the doctor agrees for her to leave for two days. Um, And then he's like, hey, like Buffy, like you do realize you you won't be getting much sleep because you're going to have to like shoulder a lot of like the scheduling for like taking different medicines, making sure she's sleeping. And she's like, no worries. I got um, I'll take care of her. I'll do it all. And then we see the meteor in the woods. Now Riley's here. Gosh. Yeah, but then he has the nerve to try to be the leader on this one. Mm-hmm. And good for Xander for continuing to call Riley out. Yeah, second out. time. Someone needs Finally. to. Finally. Woo, 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 woo. I feel like this is like this is like what I like to see in men. It's like, if you're going to be buddy, buddy. Well, don't give him too much props. But if you're going to be buddy, buddy with someone, that also means you need to be the one to call them out. Yeah. So, like, Xander has been the one who's been the most, like, friendly with Riley uh, as of late. So, yeah, he should be the one to be like, what the frick are you doing? He's also another man. Like, mm-hmm. a man calling another man out speaks volumes. Yeah. Well, again, he called him out in the episode before this, too, and was a little bit harder on him. Xander knows that Riley is floundering because he thinks that Buffy doesn't love him. And so Xander is also holding Riley accountable for his side of things, which I appreciate. And he's saying, hey, look, I know you're you're struggling, but get it together, man. Like, mm-hmm. and then but he's also graciously checking in with him too. So yeah, good for Xander. Go a little bit harder, Xander. I think you could. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe have this conversation privately so you can say more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they agreed to separate and look for this alien that they're assuming. Um, and then I am sorry. I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But the amount of times that this happens where they happen upon a dead body, body that's literally in plain sight with several people around until like the one designated character is supposed to bump into it. I'm like, babe, the person is lying three feet away from three different <laughs> characters. And Willow walks two steps and she's like, 
guys, there's a body. I'm like, it's right there. I don't also, understand. Where is the fire department? Where is the police officers? Why is no one else going, wow, we saw a meteor hitting the ground. We should probably go check that out. Like, no, why are they it's, really it's a teeny tiny little place with a giant zoo and an <laughs> yeah. airport and a mall. And, and a secret government agency that used to be there. And a secret government building. Yes. yes. Yeah. It's a, just a teeny tiny town. What do you expect from them? I know. I, I expect so much. Also, Willow, again, carrying everything. <laughs> she killed the vampires. Now she found this uh, the dead body. She's bringing the gift bags to Buffy and like, okay, men, step it up, guys. Like, you guys need to be doing more. Let's go. Yeah. Um, Anya, talking about the space lamb, it, it cracked me up because it's supposed to be space bunny or it's supposed to be like bunnies, but she didn't put bunnies because she's she scared of them. And then also her talking about radiation and both Xander and Riley looking terrified. <laughs> I was like, killing me. Um, but then this moment was disgusting. I literally closed my eyes. I can't watch yeah, people gross. take things out of other people's mouths. No, 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 yeah. no. Um, but why is Xander so funny in this episode? This is very Silence of the Lambs of them. Like Riley's very like, gross. don't touch it. It might be toxic. And Xander's like, oh yeah, touching it was my first impulse. Luckily, <laughs> I've moved on to my second, which involves dry heaving and running like hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh. This okay, Riley was so freaking sus in this scene. He's like, I'm gonna stay, you know, wander around a little bit more. And everyone's like, okay, I'll be like, uh, all right, Riley, that's weird. I'm just gonna put this out there. Giles says, perhaps we should explore a little further, head into the woods a bit. Now, the next episode is called Into the Woods. So everyone leaves in this moment, except who? Who stays? Riley. So we've talked about how in stories and fairy tales, how going into the woods is usually where the trials happen, where change happens, where there's bad wolves and robbers and evil things. It's a place of change and transformation. And Riley stays, but everybody leaves. So I just thought that was a very interesting foreshadowing of the next episode. So Riley calls the initiative. Shocker. Oh. Then we go back um, to the hospital, but in this case, we're in a separate room that looks very much like the separate room in the kid's uh, warden killed, killed by death. By death. Yep. yep. Ew. Yeah. The alien comes and ew scares Ugh. them. Gross. Okay. Yeah. And kills on. them. Anyway. Um. And then back in the other part of the hospital, we have um them getting the pills for Joyce, giving instructions. Um. And then Joyce spills nonsense again for a second, and well, then the alien is watching them. She tells Buffy. She says, "You look like your father when he cries." Oh. Yeah, rough. Yeah. The script says Buffy blinks wounded despite recognizing this as a flash of dementia. Mm. It's just like, oh my gosh. It like it takes you back to this place of like when you're a kid and you don't know how to express to your parent what you need from them. Yeah. And then they say something or they do something that's like completely opposite of what you yeah. needed. And you're just so hurt. But then you're also like, how can I be hurt when you don't know what I want? Like, I just look at Buffy and I'm like, those, like, Joyce will never know the way that those words hurt Buffy. Yeah. And we, everyone recognizes that Joyce doesn't actually mean them. That, like, those things are just mm -hmm. being said because of the tumor. And again, this is what I meant by Dr. Kriegel treating her with dignity. He, like, talks to her and he says, we're done here. Why don't you take your girls home? Like it would be very embarrassing if he was to say, hey, Buffy's going to drive you home and stuff. He's like, no, how about you take your girl? Like there's such dignity in the way that he talks to her. And then when that happens, like Joyce kind of steps back into her 
usual role. She's like, oh, yeah. thank you so much. And then they like walk out and she's like in the center. Both girls are like holding on to her. It's mm-hmm. like it's very purposely done. It'd be different yeah. if it was like Buffy like holding all the bags and like walking in the front. It was like, no, this is like a mother and her two daughters, you know? Right. Um, they go back into the house. They're back home for the first time in a bit. Um to which we find out really quickly that the lights really hurt Joyce's eyes. So they decide to turn off all the lights and head upstairs. Oh, this is a perfect setting for a horror movie, guys. <laughs> a I was thinking that. cockroach. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> a horror roly-poly. <laughs> horror centipede. <laughs> In a cocoon that is just not leaving their body. The like bug references in the show. It's like, can you guys take inspiration from anything else? It's either please? bugs or or uh, snakes. Tootsie yeah. roll. Snake is fine. <laughs> or tootsie roll. <laughs> Beetle. Back in the woods, we have the helicopter come. Okay, extra. And they come look it's at a the black guy. stealth chopper guys, and Riley Elveson is all like, "I have purpose again." Graham, uh, he's funny to me. He just like pops up, doesn't even say hi, just goes straight into being like, isn't this like your girlfriend's jurisdiction? I'm like, what do y'all have against Buffy? Like, dang. Well, I don't think Graham has anything against Buffy, but I think he's making a point to Riley because they had that conversation in Out of My Mind where he was telling him, hey, like, you're not just the Slayer's boyfriend. Like, you need to get an identity and a life of your own. You're being consumed by this, which he's not wrong. And so this is him meaningfully looking at Riley and going, hey, uh, you need to get a life. And if you're not even relying on Buffy now, what are you still doing here? Also, interesting, did, Leah, did you ever see the newest Young Justice TV show that came out a few years ago? Yes, it's traumatizing. Oh, okay. Sorry. I will try not to mention too much of it, but the guy who <laughs> no, no, plays- No, 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 no. It's okay. It's just like very sad. <laughs> okay. Um, Major Ellis, the guy here who's talking to Riley Finn, he his name is Nick Chinland. He voiced Bane, Chinland? Crusher, and Sportsmaster in that TV show. Dang, Sportsmaster, Bane, and Crusher. <laughs> he had a sexy oh, voice. all three? All three, yes. Oh my gosh. I My brain was not computing what you said. I only yeah. heard whatever. Crusher. Yeah, Bane, Crusher, and Sportsmaster. This guy did That's all three of those voices. Yeah. Good for him. Get that bank. He also played himself in the Bruce Willis classic, The Kid. Love that movie. Talk about another movie that will give you trauma and make you cry. For real. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, this is just a, this is just a lot of stuff. Um, so the initiative looks at the dude, looks at the stuff from the mouth, and you could definitely tell that the person who's like the leader or whatever of the initiative gang kind of looks at Riley in like a, huh, like, I'm impressed, you know, what all this is. Mm -hmm. Um, and then Riley says it came from outer space. Dun, dun, dun. All right, back to the house. Just cute little fun things happening at the house. Buffy and Don are watching movie while Joyce is upstairs. We see this outside view that's supposed to be taken from the POV <sighs> of our cockroach. And then um, uh, the cockroach. girls hear <laughs> Joyce rummaging through the kitchen. They both run over there and she's like burning a pan on the stovetop, causing a lot of smoke. Yeah, it's rough. And then it's, it's rough. just rough. so hard to watch. To be honest, the kitchen kind of looks how my house looked this week, guys. <laughs> All the dishes, messy. The OJ on the counter. Yeah, you know. exactly. Yeah, pretty much. She's like, she looks at Buffy with this cold look on her face and is like, you shouldn't eat anymore. You're getting disgustingly fat. Um, to which Dawn, she like. You could tell that hit Dawn too. Like Dawn's sitting there looking confused and hurt. 
Yeah. She knocks out of it immediately and it's just like, oh, Buffy, I don't know what I'm doing, which just broke my heart. Um, they take her to bed, tuck and her Buffy in. Buffy just bears it. Like that's, I think that's what's the most heartbreaking is Buffy just bears it. Well, and then Dawn this moment too. Like I have to give her props too. Like she's sitting there and she's like stroking Joyce's hair like even after so that. So sweet, you guys. Mm-hmm. I start crying again. The, the whiplash <laughs> between the hyper unrealistic of the space cockroach versus the hyper realistic <laughs> life situations of having to deal with yeah, the this ailing really Oli is just trying to like really, really break up with his family. Like, guys, I'm going to be so real. Sometimes it's kind of embarrassing <laughs> to have this podcast because it's like, oh my gosh, I cried during this episode of a literal giant cockroach on a ceiling. But like, you don't get it because like her mom is dying. You don't get it. And then everyone else is like, what the frick are you watching? You have a whole podcast about it. You're like, you just don't get it. Yeah, you this unwrapped Tootsie Roll is just staring at Joyce from like the ceiling. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so true though. Uh, I could I could make a dirty joke, but I won't. I'll move on. <laughs> it's fine, Sarah. Go for it. I was going to say it looks like an uncut penis. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I knew you were I, going as there. If I needed, <laughs> yeah. As if I needed more of a reason to hate this character. <laughs> God. Uh, anyway, uh, poor Donna's stroking her hair and Joyce is like, don't touch me, you thing. Get away from me. You're nothing. You're a shadow. I don't know mm-hmm. what you are or how you got here. That's the same thing Glory said about Dawn. Mm-hmm. She's shrouded in shadow. Okay. Okay. So this moment – okay. So first of all, the moment where Buffy tucks Joyce back in, so she, she's tired, mom, we all are, you get some rest. Um, and the music right here is a variation of the Buffy theme, but it has pieces um, from No Place Like Home when Buffy finds out who Dawn is um, and then starts to see her as someone she can relate with. There's even a bit of the wind sounds that we heard from the spell when Buffy is meditating and she discovers that Dawn is not her sister. So the show is trying to audibly remind us of who Dawn is, even though, you know, how could we forget? Um, And then we have the scene between Buffy and Dawn. Anytime there is a scene where Buffy and Dawn are talking and like, discussing who they are and how they're feeling and stuff like that like it's important in the season because again dawn is meant to be here to reflect something in buffy there's a purpose for dawn um not only literally would this be so hard for a teenager someone who's still trying to figure out who they are to constantly hear that you don't belong that you're just a thing and all that stuff like that would be so hard but the scene is important because as dawn is representing parts of buffy in her journey there's a huge metaphorical thing going on. So when Dawn talks about being a thing and not being real and saying her mom hates her, I see that. And I think the show makes a very, very clear case for that also being Buffy's fears about her own slayer nature and even her own mother's reaction to her being the slayer. So becoming- well, I was about Joyce, to say, like, Joyce- yeah almost treated being a slayer as if it was like dirty. Like, I mean, we, I mean, we talked about the whole metaphor for being gay and how, Mm -hmm. and that was a huge, like kind of statement at the time and all that. And how she, she tells Buffy, like, just choose not to be. And it's the same thing with, you know, with Dawn where it's like, she can't choose not to be what she is. 
We also know that Buffy's fear is that she will be abandoned because she is the Slayer. That's her big fear this season too. She's like, I don't understand this darkness. I don't understand who I am. And so all these things that Dawn is saying, all these fears, they reflect something in Buffy as well. Buffy fears that something is wrong with her and she's just an empty empty thing, a shadow. And so I I just love looking at this whole dialogue and there's other dialogues later on in the episode too, that when people are talking about Dawn, when Dawn is talking about herself, it reflects back to Buffy as well. So Dawn says, he calls me a thing too. And there was another one said, I wasn't real. I didn't belong. Why does everybody keep doing this? What's wrong with me? Buffy's feeling the same thing. Buffy says, it's not you. It's just, I think something that happens in people's brains when there's something wrong, like a short circuit. And it makes them feel like nothing's real except them. That's all it is. Um, so in the script, there's actually a section that was cut out. So in the episode after that, Dawn kind of like resigns and is like, okay, she kind of believes Buffy and moves on. But in the script, Dawn's response to that is, so what's wrong with your brain? And then Buffy goes, my brain. And Dawn says, you said stuff too. You said I wasn't your sister. And then hmm. Buffy goes, Dawn, I was, it was stupid. I was upset and mom and, and I was tired and then she like doesn't know how to kind of she like scrambles and then she goes into look it's not you so if anyone says anything like that again including me don't listen okay even if it's mom and then Don says I hate it and I get kudos to Michelle Trachtenberg for playing yep. this part so so well and in a, in like a very like hurt confused way like when she says why does everyone keep doing that what's wrong with me it's mm -hmm. not in a way of like oh what was me it's like the way that she says it is like genuine like she's genuinely like thinking something's wrong with her there's like she's yeah. like what's wrong with me like like her yeah. trying to rationalize it um and just i mean kudos to buffy too for just like she's having to like i mean the similarities between like her role with Buffy or not her role with Joyce, sorry, and her role with Dawn is her knowing something about both of them that could be very harmful to both of them and having to shoulder it and kind of like reflect and just kind of like keep them safe either mentally or physically and and emotionally. But it's like in this moment, she's like she knows something that jo that Dawn doesn't know. Um, and so she's having to kind of be like, it's not you. And if anyone says anything like that to you, again, don't listen, even if it's mom, which, oh, that line hurts me. But like, mm. even with like Joyce too, it's like, she has to protect her mental well-being. And even when she says things, and sometimes Joyce isn't isn't aware of what she actually says. Like we've seen it several times this episode where she'll say stuff and it's almost as if she blacks out and then she comes right out of it and she's unaware of what she's doing or what she's saying, even with the the Dawn stuff, like what she just said to Dawn, she doesn't remember right afterwards. She's like, oh, Dawn, like what's wrong? Um, so Buffy kind of has to step in and kind of shelter Joyce from that mm -hmm. as well. Like like Buffy's having to do a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, And even like it's crazy looking at the character development between Buffy and Dawn, even at the beginning of this season to now. Yeah. And like yeah. her dynamic has – it's shifted from Dawn being – an unwanted presence in Buffy's life yeah, and like this annoying bratty little sister to like D Buffy actively choosing to keep Dawn as a sister and actively mm -hmm. choosing to protect, protect her and her. be this mother yeah. fi figure for her because their mother figure is, isn't in the position to be there right now. Like it's just so, and it's guys, we're not even at the end of the season. Like we're not even halfway. Like, it's just like crazy like this. I just 
I feel like I feel like if you don't get it by now, you'll get it by the end. But like, there's a reason this season is so many people's favorites. Mm-hmm. And again, this whole idea that children see things that adults don't. Children can kind of see who you really are mm-hmm. and stuff. And this idea that Dawn is bringing these things out of Buffy is as Buffy is wrestling through who am I? Do I belong? Am I am I anything? Am I good? Or am I full of all of this stuff? Like, is my power going to taint me and pollute me? Dawn is also wrestling with these questions. So it's going to be so interesting to see what Dawn ends up discovering and who she ends up um, becoming and how that reflects back to Buffy and what that reveals about her. So the gang's at the public library. Giles is decidedly not using an indoor library voice. He's like, Xander, please, we have work to do. And I was like, geez, that was an indoor dad <laughs> I mean, voice. we do have an alien Tootsie Roll. So it does make sense <laughs> that we, we would, I would be freaked out if this Focus, were Xander. We need fancy Xander for this one. No trash, Xander. Let's go. Yeah. Um, Xander is like babbling about freaking planets. I'm like, okay. Not the time. He's like, I still get why we have to come here and get info about a killer snot monster. <laughs> There's another <laughs> nickname for him. That's great. Um, Will found a list of um, anomaly meteor landings from forever ago that just kind of don't really make sense. And then they look at the dates and realize that um, there's a pattern of a lot of these. And then simultaneously during that time, there would be a huge crowd or just a huge mass of people that would just kind of go crazy. And so they're like, hmm, maybe there's a connection between these two things. So they kind of figure out that the a meteor gets kind of like conjured, I guess you could say, to come and quell the madmen. Right. Because Willa mentions the word queller. And then Xander, ironically, is like, hey, I remember that. Like, Xander and Willow are nailing it this episode. And then he pulls out a book, Meteors and You, and then reads about how these people used to pray to the moon, believe that the moon was the cause of insanity. And then the moon would send them a special meteor to fix the problem, to quell the madmen. And they're like, oh, queller demon. Okay. And then that's when they are able to look up yeah. all that stuff. And I mean, if you've watched the episode, you realize that Glory didn't summon it. But it's- it's just kind of funny. Like, uh, even when I was watching this episode, I didn't remember that it was Ben at all. But I was mm-hmm. like, there's no freaking way it was Glory. Like, what would she have to do with, like, summoning a queller, you know? Also, there's no way Glory wouldn't be grossed out by this demon. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> She's too girly pop for that. She literally would look at that thing and be like, ew, I'm not working with you. <laughs> <laughs> we say that, though, but then, like, in – the episode she family. She bloody-nosed one. She's yeah, like, she's has like, anyone ever told you the cutest opening sores? Yeah, okay, but opening sores versus just like puking stuff all over her, yeah. I don't think she'd be down for that. She doesn't like her hair and her makeup and her dress to be messed up at all. Willa calls Riley, tells them about what they found. And then we see that Riley's at the hospital, but specifically in the crazy people area room the to where the dead body ward. was found. The mental word. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot the word for it. Um, and then Ben tells Riley about Joyce leaving, which rough to hear about it through like an intern at the hospital, but also like Buffy has way Maybe, bigger things to worry I don't about. Know, be there. Wah wah. Maybe be there. Yeah, rather than getting sucked off by like vampire girlies. Yeah, because if you're there, you never have to hear the news because you're there to receive it. What? <laughs> I mean, you like, mean- if he was there at the hospital and stuff, then he wouldn't need Buffy, like, translating true, everything true, true. for him all the time right. because he'd be getting the information with her. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, and he, him, like, 
hanging up the phone on Willow and her being like, what? Like they're very much showing that now that he's with the initiative, remember how the initiative, like they didn't need much information. They would take it and they'd be like, all right, we don't talk about this to anybody else. Yeah. He's He's initiative boy again. He's cutting off the Scoobies. He's being with his guys, his family, like it's very clear that where this is going. Hey, his boys. Riley and Saturdays the boys. Saturdays are for the bros. <laughs> yeah. And the evenings are for the, the hoes. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> nice, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you. I love how Sarah ha- Sarah has a zinger and then she like pauses before saying hoes. She's like scared to <laughs> know it's the whisper. She's like, <laughs> Sarah's so innocent. I, well, I like, well, I don't typically like calling girls hoes, but then I was like, these are vampire chicks. We can call them hoes. Well, but also it's it's not about us calling them that. It's how Riley perceives them. That's true. <laughs> They're also professional hoes, so good for them, I guess. As long as he's paying them. Yeah, it seems like he is, you know? <laughs> and then killing them. <laughs> and then killing them. Yeah, that is the problem. Yeah. And my favorite thing on the podcast is every time Sarah has to read a quote and the people in the quote cuss and the way that she says it's so cute. Like you well, we try to keep it. We try to keep it a little PG. <laughs> for I'm sure. Like, it's just funny. <laughs> I'm like, and then there. Ass. <laughs> They're ass. <laughs> yeah, we turn British. They're arse. They're such an arse. <laughs> we have Joyce's bedroom and the Tootsie roll is on the ceiling. I hate this scene. Yeah, this part is actually, I'm not going to lie, traumatizing. Like you hear her talking to herself and like poor Dawn is like covering the pillow or the pillow is covering your ears. And then you find out that she's literally talking to the alien. That's scary. Yeah, I don't like the way you're looking at me. Yeah, me either. Go oh, off, Joyce. that's so scary. Uh. Back at the hospital, uh, we just have the initiative with Riley. And then they think the patient took the alien home, which I'm like, I don't know how we got there, but okay. And then Riley puts two and two together and then leaves. Well, because it went out to where cars normally would leave. I feel like that's kind of the obvious thing. If the, that's where the trail leads. And Yeah. Um, the alien falls on Joyce, spits on her, gross. Dawn comes in, MVP with a wooden coat hanger, kicks him off or hits him off. Um, it chases Dawn into her room and then she makes a loop around, goes back for Joyce, barricades both doors. honestly. So brave too. Mm -hmm. Like she could have just ran and left, but Mm -hmm. she went back for Joyce. She didn't even scream. She like saw it, gassed, and Uh you could tell in that moment it was fight or flight and she chose fight. And I was so proud of her because she could have yelled for Buffy. She does, obviously. But in that moment, she realized if she called for Buffy, it might be be too too late. late. And she Uh took it on herself. I was like, look at little like baby Slayer right there. But also like I I have to like – her instincts in the moment too, like she makes like a clock back over to Joyce to double check that she's breathing. Do you guys mm-hmm. like pick that up? Like she's like looking around the room for the alien and then looks at Joyce to make sure that she's good. I mean, she takes off like the goop off her face, but like Ugh. she sees that she's breathing and then goes back into like trying to see if she can find the alien and then calls for Buffy. Like it wasn't yeah. like she's not she's not relying on Buffy in the situation, she took charge and she could have yeah. like just sat there and called for Buffy, like you said, Sarah. Yeah, um, she barricades the doors. Yeah, and everything. both of them. Yep. Uh, Buffy finally hears after having a breakdown. Oh, poor Buffy! I yeah. I teared up in she this moment. She can't even like relax for a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, what yep. is this music? I'm sorry. I mean, it's not, but it's it's incredibly repetitive. And Pasha Leonard brought a really great perspective into it. He says it's repetitive. It doesn't stop. And that's kind of like life. 
It just hits you and it's over and over and over again. That's what Buffy's feeling. And the contrast between this super peppy salsa music and then Buffy just breaking down, I don't know. It's impactful, honestly. Yeah, poor Buffy, dude. Uh, and then she hears Dawn call for her. She runs up the stairs. The alien immediately jumps on Buffy. They fall down the stairs again. Um, and Joyce and Dawn hug. Oh, babies. Yeah. Um, Buffy's searching for the alien because it kind of waddles away when they hit the ground. Uh, she goes into the kitchen, grabs a knife, and hears noise in the basement. This this reminds me a lot of Ted. The very horror-esque with us seeing it from Buffy's point of view. She's grabbing the knife and and then wielding it like a steak. Yep, she's in the kitchen. The long, continuous shots building tension. But they also give you the feeling that you are actually there and experiencing it in real time. Killed by Death did this a lot as well. Like It's just – it's fantastic. (laughs) Okay. I also forgot about Spike completely as a character. So like he was not I'm even sorry, a thought. I'm sorry, but this thought. is a random episode for him to be in. Yeah, you can. This is honestly one of the parts that took me out of the 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 episode where I was like, oh, I forgot that he's like an actor and is having to get the paid. The way mm-hmm. they continue to insert this man into every episode, I legit forgot he was on the show. Not even for once was I was like, man, I wonder what Spike is up to this episode. I was like, what is he trying to pilfer in the basement? He's going well, through also, her photos. They've been screaming. <laughs> Why didn't he come out and help? This doesn't make any sense. Sometimes it it's honestly more – it makes more sense to leave a character out of an episode yeah. than to try and fit them in. And I mean they brought him in because ultimately they wanted Riley to come in and see them holding hands mm-hmm. as if like, hey, we just fought this monster together. And Riley for it to be like the last straw of like Buffy doesn't need me. And I'm like, you know what, Riley? She literally asked for your help and uh-huh. you've been nowhere. Like I don't want to hear it. She also was like literally dying. So like, can we just like? It, he's giving such Gale energy. Like him and Gale from oh, Hunger Games. Like yep. they really are the same. They are one. Like they are. He is he. They are they. Like they are both the same person. Gale's like, like, hey, I know you were fighting for your life, but like, did you really have to kiss Peter? Like, did you really have to kiss him? Were you? I know that you were literally like about to die, but like, that's literally Riley. I thought you that's liked me. Riley. Spike coming out of the basement being like, um, did you hear a noise? <laughs> yeah, he's like, what's going on? <laughs> They're also screaming bloody murder. Why didn't he come out? Like, it makes it worse that they put him in this episode because it's like there's no way he would have heard them screaming and didn't come out. Yeah, unless he was like too busy doing other things down there. Okay. not paying oh. attention. I'm not oh. trying to be creepy, but guys, he has pictures of her. What is he doing down there? Like... Just saying, he's creepy. Oh and okay, the creature dropping on him and then him screaming in like bloody terror. And like, I was cracking up because, like, honestly, that's the most relatable spike has ever been right then. <laughs> yeah, I would not want the, that thing touching me. I'd be like, uh, I, yeah, no. Not Buffy looking like she's debating whether or not to just let the Queller and Spike <laughs> finish each other off, though. <laughs> so relatable. And <laughs> um, knocks out her knife. And the look on her face is like, oh, of course. She's like so annoyed. Um, And then it jumps on Buffy again. And then um, Spike throws her the knife. She stabs it several times. Takes so long to die. As it's like screaming bloody murder on her face. I'm like wailing. Yeah. And then Spike helps her up. Then Riley comes in, of course, with the initiative. Thank God. The best thing that Spike has ever done. I love love seeing Riley whimper. I love seeing him so scared. So, so insecure. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, Spike just twists that knife. You just missed a real nice time as like, you know, Riley's boys come in from every crevice of the house. As if Spike wasn't there for like two seconds. Gosh. Riley is like, are you okay? And then she runs upstairs and he's like, oh, my girlfriend won't even talk to me about her troubles. No. Oh, wine, wine, wine. World's smallest <laughs> violin. This man is irritating. <laughs> Guys, I started off as a Riley stan, and now I'm a full-on Riley hater. We what knew this would happen, Sarah. Join we knew it would happen. Join the club. Join we started club. season four, and Sarah was like, I don't think he – I actually kind of like him. He reminds me of I'm Andrew. I'm trying and we're like, to no, be objective, okay? He was fine in the beginning of season four, okay? Me going into the storyline that I've canonically hated, thinking that I might like change my mind, and then we go through it slowly, and I'm like seeing way more things. Yeah. Um, they all hug upstairs. They're like, hey, it's gone. So sweet. I love them together. They're just like the cutest little family. I'm so glad they gave her a sister. Imagine they give her a younger brother. I'd be like, um, no. (laughs) Uh, No. Buffy, Buffy is a girl. Like she needed a sister. Yeah. Yeah. She already has Xander. Oh, guys, guys, you want to know the coolest fun fact I learned about Charlie Weber, who plays Ben? Hmm. Guess who he dated? There are so many people. Taylor there. Swift. Taylor no. Swift. Not Taylor. She's she's an actress from a TV show. Give us a category. Okay, it's an actress from Gilmore Girls. Lauren Graham. Liza Whale. She plays Paris. I was gonna oh. say Paris. Good for her. Yeah. He's cute. Yeah, they dated from 2016 to 2019, which was oh, so recently. It was recently. Yeah, it was while she was in Marvelous Miss Maisel, I believe. Nice. But, yeah. yeah, he dated her. And um, he's most well-known for playing Frank Delfino in How to Get Away with Murder. Um, but yes, okay, all that to say, this is the first bit of info we get about Ben. Mm-hmm. He sees Glory as that big of a threat that he calls this outer space demon to pick up after her. But okay, so that's the first thing. We find out him and Glory are connected. But the second thing is... He's supposed to be a doctor or a nurse or some sort of – oh, yeah, he's a nurse. He talked about that. He's supposed to be a nurse. And he knew what's innocent, happening. innocent people yeah. die because of him. And he's taken mm-hmm. – I think even nurses take an oath that, to help protect people. Yikes. I'm not sure if he's a good guy or bad guy because of this. Like, is he – like, he's not – working with glory or he might be i don't know but also that's- what type of glory's mess is he like cleaning up do you know what i mean like what yeah have they talked about it yet do we know yes and who is he like how does he know glory like does he is he His also whole her minion? that's what he says yeah i'm so intrigued by this this is quite a twist i did not see this coming and then back inside the hospital we end with joyce going in um are going back for her surgery. They're doing the prep. We have the IV in the hand, which is the worst placement for the IV. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Buffy holding her other hand. And this scene is just so sweet. Joyce says like, hey, like the other day I had this knowledge, like this truth just came to me. Um, and she's like, Dawn isn't mine, is she? And I love the way that she says this. Mm-hmm. It's not like Joyce – or it's not like um, she's saying Dawn – is not real or Dawn um, isn't a part of the family. She's not my daughter. It's like Dawn isn't mine. Like she's not supposed to be mine, but she Mm -hmm. feels like my daughter. Like she belongs to us though. Like she says these words that are very imperative um, to hear about somebody that 
loves you and like and, and it's supposed to be like the parent and like and i mean it it sucks that like she gets this knowledge because she was kind of going in and out consciously which is how everyone else kind of sees dawn mm. but it's not in the way that like we expect a response out of joy so she's getting there um mentally like the way that she talks about dawn is like okay so she's not mine but she belongs to me but it also gives us a sense that Joyce is back. Like, this is our Joyce. She's yeah. not back, but I mean, like, she's not, she's like, this is her real reaction. This is the clearest she's moment. been yes. all episode. Yes. So, guys, I, this is the moment that I bawled and I might cry again as I talk about this because I just discovered something really beautiful and I can't talk about it fully until we get to spoilers because this has implications to, the entirety of the season. Um, so come back for spoilers because it's going to be really special. But for what I can tell you is um, there's parallels, again, to Buffy and Dawn. Joyce is claiming Dawn as her own in this moment, saying that she's precious and important to the world just like Buffy is. This is important because we saw in the earlier scene between Buffy and Dawn, Buffy fears that deep down she is dark and unlovable and a thing that doesn't belong, that her mother fears her and will reject her leaving her alone. But here in this moment, Joyce is telling her the opposite, both about in her descriptions and affirmations about adult Buffy, but also about Dawn. And through Dawn, also kind of connecting to Buffy's humanity and her innocence. So we have the literal and the metaphorical, and I'll try to break it down for you guys. But we have Joyce saying, hey, I just had this moment that came to me, more like knowledge, like truth, you know? So she's telling, uh, she's describing Dawn, who is, Dawn is supposed to be a representation of Buffy's innocence, of Buffy's childhood. And this moment, metaphorically, guys, this is the moment that Joyce, for the first time, fully recognizes and understands the impact and the burden that Buffy has of being a slayer. And I don't think Joyce has ever fully recognized it like she has in this moment. And so the metaphor here is Joyce recognizing who Dawn is, is Joyce recognizing the weight of what Buffy is ha has to carry as the slayer. Um, and that is important because like we talked about earlier in Becoming, Joyce kicks Buffy out of the house. She struggles to recognize and resonate with what Buffy is doing. Even in the beginning of the season, she's like, oh, you're going to go out, take your little sister with you. And oh my gosh, Dawn like, got caught by some vampires and Dawn got caught by... Uh, you took Dawn slang with you. How dare you? And stuff like that. Like Buffy gets in trouble for doing these things. And I think Joyce never fully realized how important Buffy's role is until this moment. And so when Joyce says, she's not mine, is she? She's referring to Buffy. And this is her recognition that Buffy as a slayer means that Buffy belongs to the world in a lot of, the, in a lot of ways. Buffy has a gift. Buffy has a responsibility in being the slayer, she's responsible for people and taking care of them and rescuing them. And so her saying she does belong to us though, she belongs to me, but she's really just not mine. And she's important to the world and she's precious. And she says, as precious as you are to me. So the, the episode makes those very clear correlations between 
Buffy and Dawn. And then she says, we have to take care of her. Promise me, Buffy, if anything happens to me, if I don't come through this, no matter what she is, she still feels like my daughter and I have to know you'll keep her safe. You'll love her like I do. Obviously, she's talking about Dawn. But what does Dawn represent? Again, Dawn represents Buffy's childhood, Buffy's innocence. And so this is Joyce saying, I see you. I see the burden that you carry in this world as the slayer. I recognize that I share you with the world, that your abilities are a gift. And this is a huge moment of growth because Buffy feels seen by Joyce. And Joyce is telling her not to lose her childlike innocence. And she says, take care of, protect and love not only Dawn, but love yourself. Take care of that little girl, that child that I love so much because Joyce is recognizing that I might not be here anymore. And I'm recognizing that my girl is getting older and I don't want you to all, I don't want you to have to lose this. And I, I recognize that I'm putting so much on you that you shouldn't have to deal with, but I don't want you to lose that part of yourself. And she makes her promise, guys. And it's just so beautiful. Dang, I would have cried too if I took that out of the scene. <laughs> I watched that. I was like, "Oh, that's so sweet. What a what a nice sweet moment." She's, you know, she wants her to take care of Dawn. Sarah's having a whole existential crisis. I swear, sometimes Sarah and that I watch a, a completely different like, show, like comprehension. Like, sometimes I think, like, "Ooh, like okay, Leah, you really ate. Like you took that. You know, you you took that, and you really ran with it." And then Sarah comes and like completely changes what I thought about, it. and I'm like, "Ooh." Maybe I'm just stupid. Like, maybe I'm just like an idiot. Like, what am I watching? <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyways, I'm not- love this scene. <laughs> love, love, love it. That's so true, Sarah. I feel like I didn't get that much out of it. I wish I did. But my my biggest thing was like, even when she's talking about, I I, I picked up on the whole like, her seeing the burden that Buffy has to go through all the time and her her handling it really well. It's like when you when a parent sees their um child in the workplace and like doing really well there. It's like seeing them in a whole different light, seeing them under mm-hmm. pressures that is outside of them. Um it's like that whole conversation between um Amy and uh, uh Joe towards the end of Little Woman, where she's like, when did mm-hmm. you be- get so smart? And she was like, well, you were too busy seeing my faults. Like, yeah. yeah. That's True what sibling like relationship. You, yeah, yeah, that's what it's like. It's like you grow up and you're so, you're bickering and like they're annoying you. But like, you know, deep down they're a good, like they're a good person. And then you, you become an adult and you like look at them and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even see. Well, it's different seeing them, seeing how other people view them. I think that's what it is. Like objectively, I know that my siblings have careers and like, they – are professional. It's just, it, it's mind boggling for me to see them like that sometimes, you know, not that I don't think that they have it in them, but all that to say, I feel like it's kind of like Joyce seeing Buffy in that light. She knew that Buffy contained those characteristics, but it's different when you're the vulnerable one. Like it, it's different when this happens, you know, and it, I the way that Joyce talks to Buffy while also kind of putting this responsibility on her is very key because she says, Dawn is precious. Like you are precious to me. It's like she's recognizing that Buffy's still young and is affirming her and loving her in this moment, but also knowing that she's going to have some hard times ahead if she doesn't make it out of this, you know? Yeah. And I just think about that scene at the end of Innocence 
when they're sitting on the couch and it's the end of Buffy's birthday and Buffy is just clearly not doing well because of everything with Angel and Joyce is like – the script I think even says Joyce looks at her and strokes her hair and is like – you could tell she wants to ask so much about what's going on inside of her head and she's just – she fears for her um, and is just worried for her but keeps it to herself and it just ends with – Buffy laying her head on her mom's shoulder and it like ending. And I just think about that moment in moments like this where that's a girl going to her mother for comfort, for protection as someone who is her cushion that she can fall back on. And in this moment, Buffy's scared to death because she's going, what would I do without you, mom? Like it's not just Joyce being like, what would I do without you? Buffy's like, what would I do without you? What am I going to do without you if you don't make it through the surgery? It's just, it's so heavy. And then this last scene, oh my gosh. Her being wheeled (sighs) away and everyone being there. That last shot of her like waving to them as she goes and then just like closing on the two girls. I just, I can't guys. This episode hit hard. It was hard to watch. It was beautiful, but it was hard. Mm -hmm. No one wants to see Joyce like that. They really make it seem like Joyce is not going to make it out of this this surgery. Like Joyce is going to die. And I'm like, I don't like where this is going. Yep. So yeah. All right, guys, that was listening to fear. We hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, let us know your thoughts. We would love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Tumblr at Becoming Buffy Podcast. And you can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support us or hear our spoiler section for each of these episodes, plus a few other perks, you can join our Buy Me a Coffee membership at buymeacoffee.com slash becomingbuffy. Special shout out and thank you to our producers, Christine, CJ, Paul, Kashan, Kate, Sophie and Jade. Thank you so much to all of our listeners and we will talk to you all next time.